WSJU Radio, this is DJ Mad Max on air here with the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, as you all know, Cool Keith. How you doing today, Keith? I'm um, good. I'm here. It's an honor. Of course. My new album, you know, I'm going to try to get it, you know, um, Keith, just Keith. Yeah, that's right. And it's out on all album. platforms, and I advise everyone to go download it most of all, stream it. No downloading, no downloading, buying and downloading and buying and downloading, buying and downloading. That's right. The album Keep. All the hit, all the new hits are on there. All the hits are on there, all the hits. Nothing but hits. <laughs> Zero Nothing fucks. but short shot hits. Foot Locker. Foot Locker. Uh, 95 South. Turning level 95 South. Muscle Black. Uh, plush Mick. Uh, muscle, muscle in the Black. Yeah, Muscle in the Black. So I want to get into a little background on you and when you all started with hip hop and everything. But before the hip hop, you were a dancer, right? Uh, yeah, I was dancing around the Bronx. I was like a top dancer around the Bronx, you know. Mm. I was a top dancer around the Bronx. I was going all around, dancing everywhere in the Bronx, uh, dancing in um, Bronx. And then you formed Ultra Magnetic MCs. When did you guys meet? Uh, I went to school with said I went to Clinton, so when I went to school with said said G. Then my boy ended up taking me over there, and I ended up going to a house over there up in Webster Projects, a building. And then Seb was up there, and I said I went to school. So I mean, me and we going to school together at that time. His brother was the singer. You know, they had songs like Joe Steve and stuff like that and Jagged Edge, but his brother didn't come from Patrick. It was his brother, Pat. And then um, he said that, you know, we're going to put out a record with Ultra first. You know, you know, so his brother had a lot of equipment and stuff, so he was always a person, a, a good person in heart. So he sacrificed his career, and he's like, you know, I, I want you and said to come out. Y'all could use my some stuff, and you know, then we got new stuff after that, you know. Fed's mm. um aunt started coming through, you know, with some paper and bought him the S B twelve and from then on then we just went on from there and then started, you know, rumbling through the Bronx and the sound got bigger and then Ultra became a household name and and the rest was history. What made you choose the title Ultra Magnetic MCs? How'd that come about? Um, to do something totally different with with the name of the group. You know, we was like rapping at that time. We was using the big words. And so it was, Ultra was the highest name. And then Magnetic was to attract. So I named the group Ultra Magnetic from there. So mm. that's how Ultra became. I, you know, we was, you know, we was like, the group was partially broken down into a sci-fi street kind of mix. Basically, sci-fi words and high-tech rhyme patterns and, and, and then sci-fi street. And then that's how we got ultra-magnetic. Mm, that's interesting. And it all became history right there. And you wanted to become a yeah. solo artist before coming into the game, right? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. 
when I first started Ultramagnetic, my whole my whole drive was I was supposed to do a solo album. I was supposed to do a solo album, and that the part of that deal was even when I was with Next Pack Ho, um, the the president Eddie was like saying, "Keep you know you want to do a solo album, but once you do an album, you're in sad first, and then that was the deal straight from the house, even with um with Seth's brother." He's like, you know, why don't y'all come out first together and then after that you can do an album by yourself, which I already wanted to do from the beginning. It was an album by myself. But, you know, it, it wasn't like a breakup from the group or nothing. It was just that, even sad to tell you, like, I, I had been wanting to do a solo album. Mm. I have a question about this as well. When you were officially signed, did you have to present like a demo tape or performance? How did that all come about? Uh, when I first was signed, I think we didn't ever really go do an audition. Um, we, we, me and Seth was like the real people, though. We used to walk to record companies and let, let a lot of people hear our tapes. You know, we used to go to, you know, up to um, all these record labels downtown in Manhattan. That's when you didn't have to have a lawyer solicit the tape. We used to take the tape up to these um, places. And, and you know, we used to keep listening. You know, we used to go to all these different labels. We would go to all kinds of spring records. We used to take records to profile. we take, you know, we was taking the tape. There was cassettes. And, you know, people have us out there listening. And then they invite you in and give you some Sprite and popcorn. You know, we used to go <laughs> to Electra and all these places. And, you know, everybody always has popcorn to give you and some soda, you know, popcorn and soda, which they probably still do today in the music business. I, so I, I, took it as, I took it as like, you know, popcorn and soda was the way to, you know, uh, you know, waste your time, basically. Popcorn and soda, you know, it was all a popcorn and soda, mm-hmm. you know. So it was like a popcorn soda relationship. And then Red Alert, saw me and I gave him ego trip and then uh, you know we started with DNA International we pressed up like 500 independent copies copies you know we were independent from the streets we pressed up ego trip and, and it just jumped off you know people liked it and then Hot 97 jumped on it and WBLS and then like it got big before we even started on the album it was ego tripping now, when you dropped Ego Trippin', what was the response, especially with the mention of Run DMC with the Peter Piper and all that? Um, it was just a good time to come out. I mean, we was just like, you know, I mean, even I, I joke with DMC to this day. He was like, yo, that, I love that record. It was just like, it was the competition thing. I mean, everybody was basically going, you know, having their little rivalries, I mean, with, with LL and, and, and uh, all the different people and you know, whatever back then was going back and forth and all the different, like where Kizzy be, all the different rivals, uh, the different rivals. I think with me was like, it was just, you know, our only rival was like really, you know, we, our competition was Big Daddy Kane and, and, and then we had like maybe Rock Kim. But for that point to come out, it was just that we just, we would just wanted to break a pattern of a new rap style, so we just did, did the Run DMC thing at the top. But it was it was funny because we were just always like competitive, but it wasn't like a 
like we were spiking for real with Run DMC. It was just that we came out with it, you know, the Peter Piper thing. It was just that we just used that just to start ego tripping off, like mm. so we can make it feel like, okay, this is what because the original album cover of Critical Beatdown had like, you know, rappers with the different things they wore, you know, at that time, the images, we had some guys on the ground with the leather hats and some guys with Kango, some guys, you know, under our feet, the critical beatdown. I mean, you see the name there, but the original picture that goes way far under, under our feet, it was like, it was like rappers laying down, like some with the cadals on, with the Kango, and mm. you know, all different types of images. People didn't get to see that. No, and the the album cover for Critical Beatdown is iconic, in my opinion. Well, I mean, like I'm saying, but the real cover, like the Beatdown word covers, like you really can't see the original. That Jeanette Beckman, maybe if she showed you the pictures, the original pictures of the cover is like without if that if it didn't have the name written on it, you would see like, wow, this is crazy. <sighs> And we had like all the rappers laying on the ground on like like on the floor, like under us like under rocks, like And now you knew K R S one and he was with Celebrity Three back in the day, right? Um no, I remember K R S used to come and record at Ted's house and he was there too, Scott Levine. I mean Mastermind Productions was originally Bookie Town Productions from the first you know, generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, then Bookie Down Productions became Bookie Down Productions, but it was all Mastermind Productions because Ultra was from Mastermind and KRS and them was from Mastermind, but originally everybody jumped off into their own name, Ultra Magnetic, into Bookie Down Productions. And so, but originally it all came from Mastermind Productions. That's the attack. Now, did you did you and KRS One ever sit down and make a track together, or even contemplate it? No, it's funny that we all we grew up together. We were just so not separate, just that we all hang together. Us, you know, Sir I, you know, Sir I Boo, everybody. Not not Sir I Boo. He was with another group. I know what that was. Uh, um, Holy Water. That's my boy too. But I'm talking about um Sir, um Sir Boo and Nick Boo and um you know. Everybody up there, be nice. We all hung together, but we didn't make records together. That was the weirdest thing. You know, KRS had, like, but KRS didn't really have production. He was with Celebrity 3. It was like, you know, he had his own, you know, like, three-man group. Hmm. That's interesting. I would have thought that you guys would have made made a hit or something that you guys didn't record. That oh first. well, said said did the bridge is over and well, yeah, yeah. programmed That's a right. lot of criminal minded and stuff. So, um, but we didn't really, we didn't really, we they they come up there, we leave, they go up there, we up there, they left or something. We, we just had like our own separate things, but we never really because they were doing stuff. You know, they do South Bronx and we just doing ego tripping. So the, both of those records was like set a standard for the Bronx. They were like the representation records for the Bronx. So we was hot, basically. Those two songs was representing the Bronx, you know, because everything else was like other boroughs and stuff like that. So, you know, those put a big stamp out there. So 
you know, they were they were doing shows and we was doing shows and but we were still together. I would hang out with Scott LaRock. He didn't get like they didn't get big heads or nothing and like, you know, when South Bronx was out, he was still, you know, humble as ever and you know, it didn't go to his head and nothing. Uh, I was hanging out with him after the shows where they go and stuff and me and him was tight. Now, what was it like in that era with KRS and MC Shan and all that? Um, me, I was just a, you know, I was just going everywhere. I was just a, you know, I was just a dancer that switched into making music, and a lot of people was more surprised. You know, I think that was more of the surprise because I was known basically in the music industry from dancing, so. It was just more of people like, oh, that, you the dude. Oh, wow, you made that. Like, so it was people more surprised than knowing I was going to make a record. They were just surprised of the transition. I, I was still going through the same channels of the music dancing. I would go to the same clubs, same people, see the same different types of artists. Mm. Now, what was the, your first track that you made and people were like, damn, like, you got it. You got the skills. Um... It was my first record, and then but I had a couple of records that we made that you know wasn't good. It was just oh, what, what was your first like, record? It, it cut out a little bit. It was I think Eagle Tripping, but Eagle the first record we made a couple of records before then. You know, I made some records before I wasn't like possibly sure they was gonna come out, but I made some like little demos to give you love. Like, I think I've heard of that one too. Yeah, well, that was like, like we were just in the midst of the change of the drum sounds and from the from the snare from the snares going to the samples. It was like from the, it was the transition from the EMX um, and the Lindrum going into the samples. Now and the SB12 was coming in, so mm. I think that was just the one record that you know we just went through the transition. But that was me and Sad and. We wasn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of control. And studios back then were big, with the big rooms. It had you thinking the sound big when you leave. You know, it was all about the engineer. But we have left places like Chung King and thought we would have the sound. But those places back then was more for the sound of, um, like the Lindrum and the DMX. Mm. You know, a lot of those studios was into those drums and those drum machines and and, and real commercial sound and drums that maybe like the R&B artists was using like but then when the sample came in it was like other kind of studios it was people calling from the house and then you know if you did go to a studio it had to be a, 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 real, a real engineer with swag like Paul C or something so that did stuff so we went to studios then we got with more engineer that was more familiar with like like samples and the drums and the samples and that's all kind of stuff. Mm. What was your first big performance? Uh, my first big performance was in London. I was in London. I went to London for Ultra. You know, I never was touring the United States. I was that. My first thing was when I got to London. When I got into London, what was it like out there? I, I did a, I did a show called Ding Walls and. Um, you know, it was a big show. You know, Tim Westwood. Um, it was big. I felt like the Beatles when I got to London. I didn't know, like, Ultramagnetic was so big in London. And then, you know, that's why I was like, 
I was uh, I, I was so you know hyped when I got to London. I was like, I, was, I didn't really want to go either. I was like, ah, everybody's <laughs> you know everybody's going to California. Everybody's going out doing Soul Train. Everybody's going out to um, you know all other kinds of places. People going out to Los Angeles. People going out to Florida. You know, you look at the board because we was managed sometimes by Rush. Look at the board. Everybody's going there, and we like, okay, we're going to Europe. Like, what is this about? And finally, went to Europe, and I was like, wow. It was like, it was, it, it was. We went to Europe before we went around the United States. Then we finally got to Los Angeles and all of that stuff. How would you compare touring from overseas and Europe and all to? Well, well, we had a thing with our, we had a, we, you know, it's funny because we was running sound rush. It was just that it's the sound, like I used to, even though it's like, even when we, I know Public Enemy used to, was going to California and different places and stuff like that. It was like, like, it's like we basically came out at the same time, but they just had a machine behind them. So we had to like, we had got, not, we had got internationally known later where they had got internationally known at one drop through the distribution through um through unit through Def Jam. So what happened was, because we were riding down the highway one time, and we was like, I remember Trevor used to get all the um unreleased stuff real early, and he had their album before it came out. We riding down the highway, and we was in the limo. I never forget we was going to do a show in Philadelphia, and I'm riding down the highway. I'm listening to like. I'm looking at the cover. He's, you know, he had, he was all because his mom owned the record shop. He used to get a lot of stuff early and have gaps and record releases before they come out. And he, he said he started. He's riding down the highway in the limousine. So me and Seth is in the back and we're in the limo. And then we we he like he like oh, like I He pulls out a cover like bum rush the show. You see like Spade on the cover with his hat turned aside. Mm-hmm. Then he's Chuck. You see the S1W, so I was like, wow, this group looks like, so I look at the cover, I said, this group is similar, like, they, want, you know, I'm like, me, the Budweiser hat, then said, it's the heavy voice, so I'm like, Chuck D, then I'm like, Blade got his hat cut inside, and then we ride down the road, so he plays, the, even some of the album, like, he plays, like, my Uzi Ways of Cun, and we listen in the backseat to my Uzi Ways of Cun, so we're like, who is this, when they coming out, like, so, you know, my 98, we were playing all that stuff. So it was funny that you, you've seen them come out, but they beat us international, but we was, we was out for them. But so when I really found out the blueprint, when I finally met Chuck and them, they were telling me, you know, they went to that, um, was at this place in Long Island, WBA, this radio station they be at, you know, they had like Ellis and all of them out there, you know, the Long Island posse and stuff. He was like, yo, we used to listen to y'all, man. We came up on a lot of influence from y'all. And then, but then I noticed like a lot of the sounds were the same kind of things that James Brown mm. influenced. The, and they used like the Temptation samples and stuff. But they had the same blueprint, even the sample kind of stuff was like, you know, we didn't sample the temptation, but we would use all kinds of different stuff like David Bowie saying and but in the records they had the same fusion where they was truncating their samples and stuff. So I was like, 
I was like putting it together. I was like, wow, they had like a similar, similar sound, but they used like a like a political approach to it. Mm. But like a political approach. That's that's the only thing that saved them. If they would have came out like regular guys, like it would have been just me and Fed. But they came out like they they put a political twist to it, which was good, you know. And it, it, like you know, we came, we became best of friends. I wasn't mad at them about it. It's nothing not to be mad about it, you know. It's not their fault. It was just that it was, you know, they had, they had admitted like the influence was there, and, and I spoke to Hank and Keith and the Bomb Squad. He was like, "Man, we listened to y'all a lot when we was in Long Island." And then they came out and they beat us international to um, they beat us more international, like worldly. So eventually, we came later around the world, but we was out kind of like first mm. that was the real twist beat. but that was the power of major distribution you know we didn't have major distribution and we had uh, Eddie O'Loughlin you know he felt bad later he was like damn I could have marketed you guys more than I thought I could you guys were just more on the streets and you guys were doing good without spending a lot of money on you whereas other groups he had he had to put a lot of money into them and stuff like you know I think he put a lot of money into more of the acts he had on his label. You know, he had Sybil, Salt and mm-hmm. Pepper and stuff like that, but he was telling us that, like, you guys are urban hot. Like, you know, we had a total urban following. Usually, you know, we played a lot of urban clubs. A lot of, back then, was a lot of hustlers and truck dealers and ballers and intense audiences and stuff like that. You know, that, you know that's what that's what we had. Mm. That's an interesting story, and I never heard any of those stories because I go back and I watch interviews that you've done, just freestyles. I never heard anything. I appreciate you sharing that information with us. Oh, of course. And then, you know that that's funny though. I mean, you know, but it all worked out to the best. You know, I appreciated things that you know that came out of it. You know, even with the Chuck and them thing, I talked to them, and you know, I've been on on a lot of things with them and trips and supported day stuff. And I'm a big public enemy fan myself. So it was, it was just funny. Like, you know, it was just the distribution power back mm. then. They had, they, they got over internationally, but in, in the book of, in the war rights, they fooled, they, they, the, the company, not, not the group itself, the, the company and stuff and the, the way the world put it together. Now, in history and like you said in all books and, and 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 when you watch these shows on television and how they put the 90s to the 80s to the 90s to 2000s when they show these shows on VH1 and these document documentaries they're all kind of they're not fully accurately straight no so it's like it's, it's the record company went and pulled pages out the history books and twisted around. You know, it's like the Bible. It's like you pull you pull Genesis out the Bible and Deuteronomy and you rip a couple pages out and then you you know, but that but that that's that's the evil empire of the music. You know, that wasn't the group's fault. Mm. That's just the evil empire. Who were some of the first DJs and radio personalities to play your songs on the radio? Um, Molly Ma, um, uh-huh. Mr. Magic, 
Mr. Magic was good, you know. You know, Mr. Magic, uh, Molly, um, Special K and Teddy Ted um, was definitely there. Um, um, Chuck Chill Out. Oh, yeah, Chuck Red out Alert. Yep. You know, and um, uh, you know, Lady B in Philadelphia, and then Tim Westwood, and then, you know, DJs all over, Sway, mm-hmm. uh, The Wake Up Show, um, um, Sway and Tech, and then, like, uh, Bigger D and all of that stuff was a big support, even in Los Angeles, like, you know. What was it like hearing yourself on the radio for the first time when you turned on the um, radio in your car or the boom box? Uh, well, I used to know when I was coming on. I mean, when Ultra was out, I think when Eagle Tripping was out, I used to come on every night about, I mean, Friday and Saturday night. And then they used to come on every Friday and Saturday, like, like about 7, about nine, like 10 o'clock after a certain record, like maybe after Just Dice or something. But then, um, then Ease Back was on rotation. Then like when we signed Uptown, Ease Back was on rotation. Um, Ease Back was, um, Ease Back was on rotation like every day, every morning, every lunch, every afternoon, kids got school was on rotation. So you hear it three or four times a day. Mm. You know, and now getting into critical beatdown, especially Funky, the original. We had like not only Eagle Chip and you know even Funky was big. Like you know it was sampled like even with the thing with um Dr. Dre with um Joe Cocker sample. You know Funky. Even they had another record. I think um it was like Jim Jones and um Swiss Beats and them did it. It was a big hit record in New York. They sampled the Joe Cocker thing. That was a big record too. But it's funny how they you know. It's like they swept that record under the bus. I mean, that was a big record. That even the one the Swiss Beast did, but he had like Jim Jones and everybody mm-hmm. was on the record. Was, I, I used to love that record. Like he had, you know, he left the record raw and kind of boosted the drums. And you know, that was the Dead Joe Cocker sample was. You know, I was the first one to really find that record and put it up and make it into a hip hop song. Was sad to give it. You know, first one. I kind of discovered all the hits. But, you know, I bought said Eagle Trip and I bought said Joe Cocker. I bought, you know, and basically the main rank. Now, when you listen to Funky, the original version, it's you can hear a comparison between that and California Love with Tupac and Dre. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They had, that record was successful as a sample. It was, I mean, California Love and... um. The one that I think Swiss Beats and them did, which which was a good one. That record was, it was a good sample. You know, everybody that used it had a pretty good run with it. Now, what made... But I was the first person that had the record. Huh? What made you take the route, especially with Ultra Magnetic, to change the game with the complex rhyme schemes where is in the 80s it was more like party hip-hop? Uh, what, what what route did I take to change? Mm-hmm. Uh, or what made you take that route to be more complex than the prior hip hop artists that were out at that time? Uh, the party. I don't, I don't know. I just thought it was time to be more dark. You know, I came up my my peers. I I grew up from. You know, Slave was my favorite group. You know, this band called Slave, mm-hmm. this funk band called Slave, and you know they were always serious bass lines and stuff. So I, I was always wanting to change the sound to something funkier, you know, we were always, 
I, before I made records, I was going to J&R Music where I, I was a big funk record collector. I never bought a lot of jazz. I, I was always buying like instant funk. I bought Slave. I bought Brass Construction. I bought, um, you know, like Sky. I bought, uh, you know, the Daz Band, the Deal, um, Confunction, mm. you know, Black Ivory, you know, I was I was I'm a big funk collecting person, you know. So, you know, Parliament, Funkadelic, uh, you know. But I didn't use a lot of Parliament stuff. I, but I bought a lot of records. I bought everything funk. I was the funk person. Like I mean, anything you know, even in love songs, the Enchantment, you know, Blue Magic. I was. I never bought jazz, though. Like, I couldn't go in the store and be like, let me get Sonny Stitz from Reprise Jazz Records. I, I, didn't, I didn't know all of that. I didn't know that part. I didn't collect jazz. I didn't, I didn't collect a lot of... I didn't, I didn't collect a lot of jazz. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't collect a lot of jazz. Mm. I didn't collect a lot of jazz. You know, so I wasn't a jazz collector, but I was heavy on buying funk records from whatever it was, uh, Mandrill, uh, James Brown, anything, you know, I, I was big funk collecting, uh, you know, I, that's all I would do is buy tons of funk records. You just go to vinyl shops and just look for stuff? I just buy funk. It just had any cover, you know, when you saw the six guys on the covers with all kinds of weird suits and space suits, and I bought those records. Like, I was always into, you know, Lakeside and all that. I, I, didn't, I didn't never buy no jazz, you know. So sometimes when people had gave me jazz tracks to rap on or something, uh, you know, my peers, I, they might be upset. I didn't get on jazz, and then I wouldn't rap on jazz and stuff like that. I mean, I, I like jazz too. I mean, when you know, Premier was good with jazz and, and and Pete Rock. I don't take nothing from them, but I didn't really come up on the jazz stuff. Like, you know, that was in my era, so I was always buying funk records. So, I, my, I might have rapped on some jazz when I like, you know, other producers and stuff like, you know, mm. you know, other producers and stuff, and when when I, you know, Cutmaster Kurt and stuff like that, and other people. But even Kurt, you know, when I got with him, I did Sex Styles, and yeah. that was a whole new era for me. With you know, me and him did more like keyboard mixed with samples, but you know, Kurt would use maybe jazz in a more fusion way where it would sound more meaner and stuff like that and bass lines and stuff but we didn't really use we you know we would still mess with more you know you know Atlantic Star or something and make it into a loop or something we didn't it wasn't necessarily jazz records it was my background like I didn't come from that era of that hip hop era of jazz records and samples and you know, like the L. Orange stuff. That was a later time for me and stuff. Mm. Now, when did you guys meet? That was like a meet? later time for me. You, huh? and, you and Cutmaster Kurt. When did you guys meet? Um, we met. Um, we met. Um, I met Kurt in in Oakland. Um, 
because we was out there with Jimmy Jam doing the show and stuff. Me and, and Ultra was out there, me and Mo Love and Trevor and Fed. And then Kurt was really hanging with Mo and Trevor just going to buy records. And, you know, then Kurt became a fan and Kurt sent me, um, Kurt sent me a, a, a cassette and an envelope to my house in New York. And I was, I pulled the cassette in back then and the beats were sounding good. And I was like, hold up, you know, <laughs> then after a while, you know, from a guy that was going with Trevor Moe to show them around, you know, he was more like the guy, he was showing them around San Francisco and Oakland to get records and stuff. So, you know, and plus he used to DJ at a little show, I think W and somewhere in Santa Cruz, he had a station or something. So with Muhammad, and then we went up there and he ended up sending me a tape and I flew out to um, California flew out to Santa Cruz and then walked on six cuts. And then I, I, we sent it down to Capitol Records and L.O. and Malik was there and they said they wanted to sign me and that's when things were real. They said, you know, I want to sign. We, we like everything you're doing. And then they said, we, we want to relocate and move out to California. And I moved out to California for like, um, I moved out to California for like nine years. And Kirk got to, we got a deal and, Kurt didn't really believe it. He was like, you know, Capital want to sign. Because Kurt was so small and independent thinking in his life. You know, those, when you do little samples and little records, then you get a big record deal. I think he was kind of afraid of the big monster, you know, Capital Records. You know, he couldn't believe it. You know, we moved to California. I'm like, Kurt, you know, it's time for you to move to Beverly Hills. We were living in Beverly Hills and stuff. And I said, Kurt, you know, let's get a big, house and we bought a we had a big complex house with a terrace like a nice we stayed in a big building by Beverly Hills walking by the Beverly Center because I never liked to live away from the city life I like an urban life when I moved to Sunset I like living near a gas station some stores I like a strip you know you have to have a Dunkin Donuts on a strip a supermarket mm-hmm. you know I always stay near a strip so we moved and it was good we worked on sex style Capital never put it out. We put it out independent. It became one of the most um, um, crazy covers. People liked the, the cover of Sex Doll, I guess. Oh, yeah. it, was, <laughs> it was big it won overseas, award, right? Basically. Yeah, it, was a, it won an award, basically. It was just the cover, you know, me in the house. Me taking a refrigerator in the refrigerator with some popcorn, with some sugar pops on the refrigerator with a girl with some boots, and I got on some underwear. And people was tripping out at the cover. The cover won like all types of cover awards, you know, for the best album cover, you know. And then it was the record. Textile became a, a classic album, and mm-hmm. that was my that was my LA life, you know, like me and taking pictures and being a a, a male bugged out person in LA with the girls, and you know. Knowing all the porn stars, and, <laughs> you know Jimmy Z comes to my house, and you know every porn star you know, you know was sitting in my living room, and I'd be like, oh, I, I just seen that girl in the couple magazine, I just seen that girl in the cellphone. But you know we was <laughs> friends more than doing wild stuff. You know nobody was doing crazy drugs and nothing like that. It was just that they were my friends and neighbors. You know, you know I would see Judy Pepper walking a dog. You know Jimmy Z, all kinds of you know. Uh, 
It was just cool. It was just. I think you're breaking up a little bit. I wasn't living like a, a underground hip hop head. You know, I was in LA going to clubs, standing next to Shaquille O'Neal and wearing suits. And, you know, I, that was my, I, w- I was never a head with a backpack. So I was, you know, I signed with Capital. You know, I, you know they gave me a million dollar deal. Uh, they're in the van for 500000 and a recording fund for 500000 So I just was in California. You know, I was, I was, I was Jack Baker. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ever receive you know? any backlash for the sexual rhymes and what you call pornocore? Uh, not really. Not really. Not really. Not at all. Because I know there's a lot of sensitive people, and maybe someone might have been like, "Oh, I don't, I don't like his rhymes, or they're they're too." Oh no, nah, people, people thought it was entertaining. I mean, sex style was, you know, me, my pictures, and my, you know, my my photography, taking pictures of people, and my artwork, and you know, it was just Sunset Boulevard and strip clubs, and the album, you know, the pimps, the hustlers. It was all there in my face. You know, I lived on Sunset with, you know, 10 or 20 girls working on the corner. <laughs> Temps, you know, from Oakland come down every Friday night by Rock and Roll Denny's and, you know, the whole strip, Sunset. You know, when I got to Sunset, it was great. You know, it was just, being in California was like, the sky seemed purple at night, the neon lights. I mean, when, when you first go to California, it's a whole different experience, but it's not like that no more. California has gotten more conserved. And, uh, you know, I did it before. A lot of people did it. You know, California is now, you know, it's a lot of, it's gotten more conserved in college and skateboard and stuff. So Roscoe's had all the stars over there, you know, people walking over from Soul Train. You know, the real California was, I think, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like, now California is more like, People come to visit it, like you know, it's like the Red Light District. People come to take pictures of it, like a tour. Now it's not like real people going there no more. So all the people that are late, you know, when I was in California, none of the rappers was even thinking about living in California. Now everybody is trying to go to California to live. Uh, I did California like when they wasn't thinking about going to California. People wasn't thinking mm. of going to California to live. So you know that was the the thing of music, you know, most rappers and artists, singers, they moved to Jersey, which I did too. I lived in Jersey and Newark. So Newark was nice and everything, but now Newark is real more grimy now, but it was grimy when I lived in Newark, but I lived downtown Newark in like a condominium, but I liked it. I knew everybody in Newark when I get off the path train, I walk around Broad Street, it was urban. But, I, you know, I like a little dirt where I live at. You know, I like Hollywood mm. dirt. You know, I love the Hollywood Boulevard. It reminds me of, like, 42nd Street back in the 80s, you know? Mm. You know, the Hollywood was, you know, dirty a little bit. But it was clean, dirty. I like that kind of feel enough to get some ideas and write about and stuff like that. So, but, you know, I did it. And I feel good. You know, I traveled all over the world, Tokyo. London, Japan, all these places. But you know, what was your favorite? I did like, I did like California because it felt like Saturday every night. 
Keo was out there and everybody and you know, I'm I'm just regular. I'm hanging out with you know, all kinds of mm. the city and every night seemed like Friday night, you know. You know, Bernard Hopkins, you know, people so and they can't really go out. When I was in California, all the stars can go out. I think that were clubs with Michael Jordan or something. You see him and Scotty Pippen up there. You know, you come out your club, out, your, out to a club at 9 o'clock. You see Jordan, the Seattle Supersonics, uh, anybody hanging out, you know. But now it's like, you know, it's more confined now. It's, it's hidden Hollywood, you know. Mm. It's not... People moved out there, but they're not having their fun. You know, they stand in the house and petting their dog. You can't go nowhere. Yeah, or going on they the internet. In the black. Huh? Going on the internet. Everyone's invested in the internet now, social media, their phones. Yeah, well, they're not having an outdoor life. Back yeah, then, no. Hollywood was more of a person-to-person life. You know, like you could go out and see. You know, you can go out and see somebody sitting down. You can go see a actual person. Back then, you know, now it's like it's an indoor Hollywood. It's not like, you know, two, it's less one, two or three people get together in the hills and have a barbecue secret and nobody know about it. It's, you know, because everybody's scared, you know. I guess California changed when, the when like, you know, they claim, like, when the people... Started catching up to someone. The hood started coming up to the Hollywood, and it changed. And but now people got kind of scared. And now it's indoor Hollywood. You know, after the Biggie and Tupac thing, it it, it changed. It did a big drastic change because I was in L.A. when that when they um, when Biggie when that thing happened with Biggie. Mm. You know, but I see I saw Tupac and Shit Night. You know, at restaurants. And yeah, you saw them in a cl- club, right? Tupac and Suge Knight? And Chin Chins and Chin Chins. And, and I saw saw Biggie in a club one night. He talked to me. He was like, oh, uh, hey, what's up? What you doing out here? I said, I, thought, I live out here. He's like, well, I'm out here visiting. You know, he had like that heavy, you know, he's oh, hard yeah, to yeah. breathe like that. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, but he was out there at the time of the beef. He was like really in L.A. Like, I'm like, wow, this guy. And my mom like, People looking for Biggie and Biggie out here in a little club, like a dope. It was like a cool little club, in like uh, not too far from the Beverly Center, like a little, like a little, like a little shack kind of bar, like in the back. Like you have a drink. He was in the back. I'm like, it was like a down low key spot, you know, in California. Mm-hmm. And I seen him in the. I, like, I'm seeing him. He's like, like, Keith, what's up? What you doing out here? I was like, I'm just chilling. He like. I like that album, Sex Style. So he was like, you know. Yeah, he told you that was his favorite funny. album, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, nobody would never know Biggie's out here in this little cool, like, like it was like a night, it was like a night bar, like kind of like a, a bar off a of side street, but it was not like a main place to be. It was just a, like a cool out place. You go grab a beer or something. Mm-hmm. Now, people wouldn't have like thought he was in L.A. Spot. because of what was going on with the East Coast, West Coast beef. Yeah, people would have never thought he was in L.A., but he was out there. Like, you know, I, you know, it was about business. To, yeah. I was back then, you ain't have Twitter. And you ain't have all that stuff. And people wasn't, like, texting, like, hey, he's in the club right now. It was, it was more, 
And probably the people that was in the club didn't know him because you know California is like more like they used to seeing stars, so people don't pay you no mind. It's like it ain't like if you were somewhere else, like a little town, like little country place or something. Now, what was it like during that era? What was your position? Were you just neutral? You're kind of just laying back when all that was going on. Uh, it was kind of funny. I was going through a transition with Black Elvis. I think Puffy wanted to um, sign me. And I had met him at Skip Stella because he wanted to try to get me off Columbia when they held the Black Elvis mm-hmm. album for a long time. So we were talking and meeting, and he was trying to get me off of that, you know, get me out of the deal, which I finally did get out of. They let me go anyway because I sent those emails. My fans blasted a bunch of emails to Sony, but I think. I got out the deal, but what happened was um, he was trying to do some stuff with me. He wanted to start a group or do something, a solo album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bubby was real since day one when we was going to sign. Um, uh, when he was with, he said, I'm going to start a label. This was when I was in New York. He said, when I get to L.A., I'm going to start a label or something. And that's when he had Craig Mack and you know, sure enough, he had Biggie in them when he had the Bad Boy label. They was out in Craig Mack and Biggie was out in L.A. And then that's when Flavor in Your Ear came out. Mm. But, yeah, but I was trying to get off um, Sony because he wanted to do something. I think me, Buster Rhymes, and he was going to start another kind of group or something. But I think it was going to be more like some rock type of thing, but I don't know. But we never got into it, but I wasn't really, a, you know, I just was, I think a lot was going on too with the with the back and forth beast and with, you know, with the, the death row stuff. And yeah. So I just moved on and kept on making records and you know, moved on to Octagon and other stuff. So Now, what made you change I mean, egos or personalities for your albums, starting with Dr. Octagon? Uh, I think it was just me being able to move around on different labels, basically being a smart person. I think, you know, I never want to be trapped in no record deal because I always looked up that George Clinton. He was like, you know, he had a lot of things going, Brides of Funkenstein. You know, I even started other groups when I had like KHM and other projects I had and Claiborne Family. And so I was, I was always into trying to figure out how, because my recording life was way more bigger than me having one record out on one label. Like, I recorded so much content. And to this day, I still record so much content. So I heard somewhere that you've recorded over 50 albums, right? Uh, Songs unreleased. And baskets full of lyrics and gap tapes I never played of songs I made, and then this accumulation of songs that because I record naturally without a record company. Mm-hmm. I just like to make songs. Whereas some people they make artists they make songs um, they make songs according to the the, 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 the company wants them to make records. You know, or naturally. I, I love making records regardless. Even if I didn't have a record deal, and I still don't have one, I've still been making records and still putting out songs. You know, I don't just make mm. one record 
my what my inspiration told me to write. Like and you know, some people are just looking for one hit and you might not ever see them again in their life. Mm. And some people are just looking to make records, you know. You know, I'm more like you know, like the you know, you look I have I have a lot of you know, they always pull up songs they worked on or they working on, they keep working on. Some of them they don't but I don't keep working, I keep making them and go to another one, making them some people work on a song for 50 years and never put it out, you know? Yeah. Like some people keep working on a record for seven, eight months, one song. I, I just work on a song maybe one day. One day is that song, and that's done. But, you know, a lot of people want to be Quincy Jones, you know? Nothing you can do about it. A lot of people have their old ways, their dinosaur thinking. They want to work on a song for like, five years and and then it comes out it still sounds garbage but yeah <laughs> you know you can't do too much of you can't do too much of nothing either so I just kept I just keep recording naturally recording now you're also the inventor of horrorcore what made you create this genre of rap uh a lot of songs was inspired by um a lot of songs was inspired by monster soundtracks, you know, a lot of lyrics of monsters and creepy stuff. You know, I'm a dark side person, you know, I'm like like Stephen Stephen King makes movies. I like making mm-hmm. like dark tracks that sound like late night late night real real intense Halloween, you know way before even the trap was doing Halloween type sounds. I've been doing that stuff. So, you know, it's not nothing that I haven't already done. Mm-hmm. So I feel it in my best behalf that stuff that people are doing now, I have already done. I agree. You know? And then you moved on to Dr. Doom after Dr. Octagon. And then you went to mm-hmm. Black Elvis and Lost in Space, which is my favorite album that you've done. And I know you had a song on there, I Don't Play, in which it reads, back up the turnpike, watch Mad Max turn into you, get gas at truck stops, leave diesel fuel burning through you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think that Mad Max, I don't know, it, it might have been an inspiration to create my DJ name. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was... Um They were like kind of releases from my anger sometimes. Those those albums were more like I had to get stuff off my chest. So, you know, music is a good way to get stuff out your system, mm. you know? And I think it's sometimes it's therapeutic. That's one thing, too, music is therapeutic. A lot of the guys that made records, I think they didn't take music into a, to be therapeutic. They ended up, you know, you know, not recording and they made music more to follow as to be criticized or, you know, they weren't about if it's going to be the best album I made this year and that year. I just make albums and let them do what they do. Like some people are more concerned about if it's going to be the best album I ever made this year than the last one. 
Is it going to compare to Celine Dion's album? Am I going to mm-hmm. go up to Grammys and collect the award for it? And it's going to be, you know, an honorable mention for the the top producer I had on it. You know, I don't look at the records like that. I look at the records as like just the the nature, the, the natural art of it. Like make the songs and fill them and, and move on to the next song. Like, you know, you don't have to work on 28 songs. You don't have to work on a song for like, like you said, 50 days. It's like, as long as a song. And it's rap. Like, you know, when you start working on a record, like, you're working on it like you're an opera person. You got to go and fix it and do it over and change the note and all this. And you got to call and you got to send it to France to get it mixed and send it back to Germany to let some guy in Germany master it. Then send it back to the priest so he can pray over it. Like that's mm-hmm. what a lot of these guys are doing. So you don't have to do all that with a song. No, not at all. No, you don't have to do all that for the record. Now, who designed the cover for Black Elvis? Huh? Who designed the cover for Black Elvis? Uh, I don't really know. I think, I don't, I don't know. Somebody, somebody came. Oh, no, that was a picture. Oh, yeah, that was a picture I took. I think it was on the green screen and then the artwork. I think Sony Department did that. You know, it, it, it was it was kind of different. It was futuristic in its own way. Mm. Yeah, I think it's you one know? of the greatest album covers of all time, in my opinion. Just looking at it, it's so unique. Yeah, I mean, it was different. And playing it up here at the radio station and just even in the back room, because in the back room we play music videos and just Or if you look general. at um, Living Astro, you pull that one up. It's, I think that one's got a, over a million views, Living Astro. Mm. Yeah, that's another classic one off there. Yeah, and you know, it's just playing it up here at the station and spinning it, playing in the back room because the back room we play music videos and just songs mm-hmm. in general. People who aren't even hip hop heads are like, I put on like I don't play, and they're like, and or just any song off the album, and they'll be like, wow, what is this? So you have the yeah. ability to touch all audiences where a lot of rappers can't and couldn't do that. I, I don't think they they didn't know what to do with it because. You know, they had their, you know, everybody had their certain artists. You know, people had a lot of artists. You know, I guess they knew what to do with Rico Suave, but they didn't know what to do with Black Elvis. But I think those albums, with the music was different. Like, my era of making music, I always wanted to be different. Like, I always wanted to be like Brass Construction and make my own music or be like Earth, Wind & Fire, make my own music. A lot of people always wanted to sample stuff and they want to be more of a sampler and make albums from somebody else's music. I think Black Elvis was made for kids that one day start sampling something from that or something. You know, that, mm. that's what I want to set the tone like to start making my own music. And you did. And, you know, in Eminem's song, he even shouted you out in the monster, what was that like hearing them shout you out? Um, he says he's more. Well, you know, I think you know. I, met, I seen Eminem at Tex House. Um, when I went up to Tex House, 
he was at the text house and me and Kurt went up there and Eminem, you know, I had money deal with me, my boy, like my assistant and he was talking to him then Eminem was quiet back then. Like this was before he even came out. He was at text house working on tracks and mm-hmm. came out the room, but he, he just saw me and he just, you know, he just came out in the room. He looked at me, but he didn't say it. I, cause I was like in LA, I think I was in LA hot and I was more like, working on my records and I was who I was. I was a cool piece in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. All the rappers saw me and looked up to me. I mean, from Project Blow to, you know, all that organization of the heads and the underground world and everybody, even the movie stars, you know. Even I saw, um, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, the guy, you know, even... um. Uh, and, uh, Anderson, you know, Anthony Anderson, and then oh. uh, uh, even Cookie, um, even uh, Roddy P. Henson, you know, people all from Empire. Black, Black Elvis, Black Elvis. Oh, I love that album. Like, oh, man, we love that. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, I would see people and get the love. So, you know, even she was like, I know your stuff. I know your stuff. Like, so. It's not like some people think people are so famous that they don't know. I'm a person that I keep a little profile, but a lot of people that you wouldn't think, you know, Terrence Howard came to my house before he became who he was. He walked around. I, I, so I, later on, I recognize even Donovan, all these guys that's on television acting. You know, these guys been to, been to my house before, when they first got to L.A. before they got on television and stuff. So... You know, my thing is that, you know, myself is, <laughs> you know, yeah. I have, uh, I have a weird, weird, I think I attract a bunch of weird people. Like some people feel like, you know, say you should be known or you should be you feel you get the credit you deserve, but I'd be like, what credit do I deserve? Like, I'm I'm hanging out with Michael Jordan. Like, <laughs> like I'm in a club with Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen tonight. Like, I'm walking around, I'm, I'm meeting somebody, like an NBA basketball player is walking up to me going, yo, I love your stuff. Like, what, what is this? Like, I'm trying to say what credit they want me to deserve. It's like, I'm stuck in the world of people that want me to be unknown. But they feel like, I think it bothers them when I am known. Mm. You know. What was it like you know, being it, in the club with all the people? Out. From just someone coming from the Bronx just Anthony, trying to make music. People, people people bug out when, like, Anthony and Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, just, we just hanging out together or something. Like, you mm. know, like, you know, uh, you know, it, I think people maybe feel like something is wrong or something. Now, what was it like coming from the Bronx for something huh? that just, what was it like coming from just a kid in the Bronx making music to now being in the clubs with Michael Jordan? What was it like? Uh, I, I didn't expect all that. I didn't expect all that. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, hey, that's what comes with, that's what comes with being popular. Hey. That's what comes with being popular by the people that don't make you popular, I guess. I don't know. But I, I never was a forefront person. You don't ever see me at the awards and standing up next to Celine Dion. 
represent something. But I could if I want. I think I would, but I'm not. You know, that's not what I'm looking for. I think I just so too. You just wanted to keep it on the down low. I'm not impressed. Huh? You just wanted to be yeah. someone who just kept a low profile. Yeah, I don't. You know, don't floss and fancy cars. Like you know, I don't have to get out a Lamborghini on. Oh yeah, yeah. Ocean Drive. <laughs> And all of that. I mean, you know, I could walk down Ocean Drive, you know, you know. But I'm just like, you know, how come all these people know me, but then the people that want to figure that they, they don't know me, they figure like something is wrong. They might walk up and say, "I think do you feel you didn't get the credit you deserve." That's one of the biggest things. You, I'm sure you probably heard that too, but. I, that's a, that's that remains a puzzle in my head. Mm. You know. Yeah. What's your view on hip hop today in comparison to your era? Uh, you know, I think the ugly guys are in now. Girls dating the ugly guys. I remember, you know, you go through phases when Christopher Williams was be the man and I'll be sure and all that stuff and genuine and you know Howard Hewitt and now uh, you could be ugly now it's ugly 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 guys are in now like you could look ugly and be with a nice chick your girl's like that's what really bugs me out like you see a girl work hard to buy all these Chanel bags and look pretty and go get operations on their nose and <laughs> do plastic surgery on their bodies and and do all kinds of stuff and Botox and but then you do all that to get like an ugly guy. It's like a new thing now. It's like the it's like the frog the frog syndrome is in. Remember when the frog kissed the princess? Oh yeah. That's a that's a big thing now. You know that's like a big thing now. Mm. The frog kissed the princess. And people today you know, even came up with a name for the rappers, the mumble rappers. And another thing that gets on my nerves for someone that respects the real hip hop and stuff I listen to constantly is that radio stations, especially in New York, don't even play that real hip hop anymore. And it's almost like they lost their sound. Their own stuff? Mm -hmm. Like they don't play their own artists who embody that New York hip hop no sound. You know, I I, I I I like music from other cultures, but it's like when you go to a city and you might not hear artists from that city. That's a shame. Like you, like you know, like you're actually like another region, but it's totally not your region. But it's not to say that you should be so jealous that you don't play it. But you don't play nothing from your region at all, mm -hmm. and you're just playing. You know, and you got a lot of DJs up in areas and they move somewhere and they start acting like they're from that place and that's another thing you have that's bad too a lot of DJs move to certain cities and mm -hmm. you be like you look up their background you be like okay you didn't come from that city but all of a sudden you have adopted that city and you there now you forgot what you really used to DJ and where you came from but you're in a whole other region acting like you were born there from a child Mm. That that that's funny though. That one is funny. And I know that, that 
if you just listen to the hip hop today or whatever, whoever wants to call it mumble rap, there's no distinctive sounds today and everyone sounds the same. And I know you've talked about it in a lot of interviews. And well, 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 the most, other rappers look good because if you got a hundred guys mumbling and then one guy talk clear it, it makes you stand out better mm-hmm. but I mean just saying but you can I think you can get on those beats and say clever stuff on those beats it's just the person that's on those beats but mm-hmm. It's not the beats for it. The beats are always going to be unique. I mean, hip hop beats, trap beats. There, it's no, it's no segregation. It's still hip hop music. It's just what the what they're saying. Some of them, you know, you can, um, you can put all kinds of skills on those beats. All kinds, all kinds of wordplay. But I think some people are just lazy, and they just don't have it. And you know, people just get off on maybe a person. That's drinking syrup or uh, cough syrup, mumbling on the record, or uh, they figure he's so high. But a lot of those guys go in the studio high, so they that's how they get a sound like a a drunk sound. You get a drunk sound. So if I drink like you know two quarts of beer and and smoke some weed, to my head is to my eyes is rolling back in my head, and I go in the booth. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like that. I'm gonna sound like what I've been the intoxicants that I had. So that's what a lot of the guys are doing. They're smoking blunts, drinking Hennessy. So they, that's how they get the sound. They But it's, it's really them, though. I mean, yeah. that's what they're doing. But, but it's, I guess it's an art. I guess it's an art. But, I mean, I record sober, you know. I record sober. I like recording sober. But, some people record drunk. They like to record drunk. I mean, I don't know how it you know, became the, like this. The booth is very hard. Sometimes the booth, sometimes the booth is hard to face. Sometimes it's a lot of peer pressure to get in there. So when you're making records under alcohol and you drink Hennessy and you got to drink call syrup and stuff, maybe that's the only way they can get it. You know, attack the mic because it takes a lot of courage to get in there and stuff. So. That might be helping their confidence, you know, but it, it became a, a voice accepted. It became some kind of voice accepted. That's all it is. But until they make a rule that you can't go in the booth drunk, I mean, they don't have a sign up yet. They can't come in the booth. No, no drinking and coming in the booth drunk. Yeah. You know, other than that, it's, it's official. Why, so, why do you think that that sound has become so mainstream coming from your era where you had to be nice on the mic to be played on the radio and that's what people liked back well, then? Well, what you, what you could do is adapt, which mm-hmm. a lot of people can't adapt to the cadences. But, I mean, you got a lot of rappers that rap with skill on that kind of stuff. I mean, you got people that rap with skill on that stuff, but that's the, that's the, the part of the, the rap of... Uh, Taking the um the codeine sound, the codeine sound mm. is 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 nothing clever to it. It's just the codeine sound. But I'm saying you, it's just that they've been you know they've been brainwashed by the record companies to sign. And you know Atlantic that used to sign 
real lyricists in signing it, you know. And you got a lot of artists, you got a lot of people that had a lot of artists that was uh, real lyrical, but they signing that stuff. The artists that, yeah. a lot of the people that had, um, that was responsible for those conglomerate lyrical entities, they starting to sign, you know, the coding, the coding people. Mm. You know, they starting to sign the coding and the wine rap. So, it's, it's somebody's, somebody's doing that. So, and I spoke to Hammer a long time ago on Broadway. I seen him on, it was in, it was in the rain. It was in the rain, mm-hmm. and um, it, it was in the rain, and, and it was in the rain. And um, he told me, he told me um, that uh, he said the people that are at the top that was responsible for, like you know, the people that were responsible for you hearing proper lyricists and all those lyricists. He said those same people switched up. Because of the money, and they went to switch to other rappers who are less talented, just because the money is there. The money is there for codeine or concert rap or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think it's the artist's fault. It's just the people switched up for the quickness of the. You know. Do you think the, the dumb li- down of the sound? Do you think the lyricists huh? will ever come back into the mainstream light again? Uh, lyricists are still back. I mean, it was good. I mean. I think, you know, I mean, lyricists are back. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, I think he spits real good. I mean. Yeah, who are some of the rappers I mean, that you that, think that, are that's, good that's, today? That's still kind of lyricist. I think people don't have to compare lyricists to, um, people don't have to say what is a lyricist. Like, I think people think New York is only a lyricist. I think it's lyricist in all, in a lot of cities, like, even in the country, is lyricists. I mean, but I think people feel like New York people should be only established as lyricists. But lyricists in Florida, lyricists in, in California, it's lyricists. You got AC alone. You got you know lyricists in Oakland. You got lyricists and um lyricists in Chicago. You got lyricists in Atlanta. You got lyricists. I just think. And like you said, but they're being pushed by people who handle lyricists, lyricists, people mm-hmm. who had lyricists, people who had lyricists, officers, people who got rich off of people being lyricists. They ran off and hid with some money and got some coding that. You know, it makes sense though. That's why. That's why my. That's why. I, I, I say a lot of people ain't proud, or a lot of people don't feel good about. That's why we see Roy Mayweather counting money and he puts a million dollars in his living room floor. Can't be mad and call him ignorant. You got to be saying he's proud of the money he made because it's honest money. He knocked people out of the sport. There's nothing negative about it. Nothing evil about it. Mm-hmm. With, with other people, they make money off of lyricists and cultural hip hop. They ran off and stole the money. Now they want to put coding guys on it. So they ran away with evil money. They might have jerked a lot of the artists that they had and stuff. They ran. They don't feel good. They can't. They would never be able to 
splurge money and count it like that. So they got to hide. They got to corporately hide because they did so much evil. And they put it, and they still putting out so much evil, say, putting drug rap out, telling people to take drugs and pills. Mm. And you don't feel comfortable making that. You don't feel comfortable with that money all over the floor. Because no. evil is evil demon money. <laughs> now is there anyone evil demon money when you, you you don't feel good you don't even feel good with your family because it's evil demon money yeah. like demon demonic cash like you know some people put clean cash out all over the place spurs and they can go out and feel comfortable and drink a pina colada but you can't you can't enjoy yourself with that kind of money no because it's demonic money it's demonic money so that's why when people see him doing that, he feels good. And I'm happy. I'm happy he could do stuff like that because it's good. It's good. It's, 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 it's honest. It's honest money. Mm. You know, you don't see the feds watching him or nothing like that. It's honest because it's a sport. He did it honestly. But some people can't do it because they ran off. You know, evil, I, I, I call it evil empires. Evil empires is mm. responsible. Now, who are some of the rappers that you they do can't, like? They can't. Huh? Who are some of the rappers that you do like from this generation? Like, um, I like, uh, I like, um, it's a lot of them I like. I like, you know. I like uh, I like Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. I like uh, I like uh, Big Sean. I like I mean I, I like a lot of people. I like a lot of people. I like you know, I like a lot of. I know you like Rick Ross, right? I like I like I like um, you know I like a lot of people. I like Drake. I like mm-hmm. you know. I like a lot of innovative people, you know. He's lyrical. Drake is lyrical. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I like people that are just different, you know. How about Dave East? I don't really hear a lot of his stuff really. I don't mm-hmm. you know, I never I never got a chance to dissect any of his stuff really. You know. I never really got too much to really get into what he's doing because but mm-hmm. I, I when I when I do get a chance I will, you know. I, you know that's I mean, you know, but I like other people, you know, I like other kind of people in Jada Kiss and oh, yeah. Ghostface and and, and 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 Styles P and you know I still like, you know, current, you know, and then I still like you know, the flexibility. Mm. But I think a lot of the artists, you know, my time and classmates, I mean, I, I can't really, I think I'm current above my own self. I think the people now are lazy or they can't write, they can't adjust to the cadences. So they rather live on a legendary status and, you know, call it like, I'm going to live off my legend thing, which I don't do. I don't like to be called a legend. I just like to make records and still walk around as a 
a person of what I've done and my accomplishments. But some people want to live off of, you know, the legend, like, well, I don't want to make another album. I'm perform this album forever. I don't want to make a new record. I'm going to live off this one hit, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crawl in the hole. I'm going to crawl in the beaver hole with this one hit album I did. You know, they will never make another song. You know, people might want to hear another song, but, you know, they put a plateau on their life already. Like, well, I'm not going to make no more new records because I'm mentally lazy. You know, mm. that's one thing I never developed. You know, I still stay warmed up with my lyrical workout, I call it. Like, people go to the gym, my lyrical workout. You, my, my nephews in them, they rap. They still... You know, when you still could sit them down and they still looking at you like, yeah, damn, I got to challenge you to go in the booth. <laughs> That's still good. That's still good. So I, I stay current with the cadences and the, the wordplay and mm. study what's going on. I'm not going to be, you know, like an old man, you know, not knowing the latest pair of sneakers out, the latest jeans, you know. A lot of things give up. They start going to Sears, the shop, and, you know, you know, when you start going to Sears, buying your hats from Sears and mm. wearing a, you know, you know, like you said, your 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 baseball caps no longer got, got new era on them no more. You buying a Chinese hat from the store, you know, yeah, a, a baseball cap with no logo, you know. You gotta watch those kind of people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> so, and I don't give a fuck either. Mm. I basically don't. So, let them be like you. And it's another thing too. You can have millions of dollars, and you don't know what to do. Like some people got millions, and they can't. They they don't know what to do. They can't. They they couldn't buy a, a decent outfit to save their life. Nope instead of asking somebody to help them. You know, it's all how you feel. You know, you can have the best, you can have everything in the world and not even know what to do. Like, you can't even match your shoes together. That, that's the best stuff. Yeah. I think so. You got a lot of money, you can't even match a pair of shoes together with a suit or something. You know, that's bad. Like, yeah. I see that a lot. Like, people, You know, you, like, like, you, like you said, you can have talent in all kinds of ways. Talent, music, talent, making talent playing football. You have talent playing uh, golf, talent, basketball. And you can also be untalented in dressing. Mm. You got a lot of people like that. That's very That's true. That. Like, you can make a lot of money. You can't even match your pants with a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the styles have changed too. From and there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people like that. I'm just sad. I'd agree. It was a waste. It's just like the girl who saved up all her money to get the operation on her butt and get her eyes done and her weed put in, baby hair, carry Chanel bag, and get up to like five million followers on Instagram, and then you go with like the most ugliest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's today's era. Huh? Yeah. So that's that, that's why 
that's why you know you just can't you just gotta you just gotta go get your donut somewhere outside and a cup of coffee and chill you know yeah. it's, but they think they're doing something no they're not they think that those people think they're doing something it's sad like, though you know you spent you spent a lot of money Yeah, it's sad. What's your opinion look, on uh, uh, pl- platforms like uh, SoundCloud? What's your opinion on platforms like SoundCloud and like SoundCloud rappers and how easy artists can get their music heard through like social media? Coming from the era where you had to be nice and it was harder to get more notice. Uh, it's easier. It's so easier. But you said so much less talent. It's so much garbage yeah. flooded on on there. But it's it's it's. it's it's less talent and more garbage. So that's one thing. Back in the day, back then, it was more. It was more talent and less garbage. Now it's more garbage and less talent. Mm. So we gotta weed through the garbage. You know, press the disposal on the garbage can, <laughs> put it in the garbage can. You know, and then it's like shit. Everybody in the audience is a, is a is a is a is a performer now. Back back back. You know, before you go to a show, people was a fan but now somebody's a guitar player somebody's your grandmother played drums mm. your uncle your uncle got a rap you know, you know your father programmed beats yeah everyone's a beat your, everyone's a producer track. your sister your sister make beats um, your aunt got a she got a rap she got a 16 a twerker a, you know a stripper got a verse um a dancer, a escort got a verse. She got a song. You know, escort making escorts making albums. You know, you got escorts making albums. That's when you know it's a pimp got a a pimp got a record. The whole got a record. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a rapper and a producer today. <laughs> I mean, everybody. I mean, hey, hey, hey. What could you do? It's oversaturated too. Hmm? And when it's oversaturated, I mean, the hey. garbage, the garbage today. And in what you said, you got to hit the disposal. Everybody got a record. I think everyone on the a lot of not everyone, but most of the people that you hear on the radio, especially Hot ninety seven. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Trump and his wife ain't recording a song. They're making songs. <laughs> they're, they're everybody doing, they're got doing worse. everybody got records. They're they're doing worse things than. Uh, I, I, that's a whole other show. What they're yeah, doing? Every, everybody, everybody got a record. I'm telling yeah. you, like everybody, like so, and you can't tell everybody they're not talented. And then you got those shows on TV with Simon and all of them. They, oh, they yeah, don't make yeah. it better. They making people. They make like that's that's most that's um they they're promoting um they're promoting um middle middle America's trash. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I agree. Middle America's trash. You know, core America's trash. That's what they should call them shows. <laughs> Would you ever consider doing one of those shows? What you mean? Like a show, like a, like a, like a like a rap version, American Idol, but like your version. I don't mind. I don't mind judging. I might get off on that, like telling people they need to work on something more. I mean, I think we need that's that. That's what it is now. That's it, though. But people love to do that. They want to tell people what they need to work on. You know. People get off on that because that that happened to them in the past. You know, A and R's told them they had to fix their vocals, go back, and you need to work on something. And you need to work on your upper voice and your lower voice, and you need to come up this far with the pitch. 
so those, those a lot of those people been through that, so they want they they get their chance to get back at people that did that to them. That's all those. That's what those shows are about. Mm. Now you've recorded many albums throughout the years. What is your favorite album out of all your albums? If you had to choose one, huh? Now I know you, you've recorded a lot of albums throughout the years. What's your favorite that you've made? If you had to choose one, what's my favorite? Mm-hmm. I like all my albums. I think all of them. I don't have a favorite record. Like I don't ever favorite a song. Some of them are different in different ways, but I like all my albums. They all like my babies. Like you mm-hmm. know, like it's like when I'm. Guy walks all ten of his dogs. He, he like he loves all ten of his dogs. Like I, I can't like leave one dog out. And, you know, like I love all the dogs. Like I can't like ah. Uh, my favorite puppy is Benji. I'm gonna only walk Benji and leave the other nine in the house because I hate them. I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. Mm. I like. I like them all. I like them all. How about your favorite album cover? Uh I don't know. I like, I like, I like, you know, right now I like Keith. It's like plain and it's got Keith and orange. Yeah, like, I like that. It's, it's, it's like, it's, I don't want you to focus on the cover of a, a description or a picture. I want you to focus on like the music and Keith is like, I took cool off so it will be Keith to bring my raw essence back to myself, you know, well, you know, because before I was school Keith, I was just Keith. Mm. So, I did, that's how the album is portrayed as me being straightforward with the lyrics and you know saying what's on my mind because Keith is more direct and straight to the point Keith mm. and that's why I kind of put my graphics like simple you know I didn't do nothing spectacular I didn't stand in front of a fancy car I didn't put no jewelry on there I didn't do anything I just was Keith mm. People need to get it like straight, straight to the point. And it is too. Yeah, straight to the point. Now, yeah, and I, and, I, and I'm talking more in this album, like saying just whatever, saying what is on my mind. That's the truth. Now, just to say to the audience, you're tuned in to WSJU Radio, St. John's uh-huh. University, and you're now listening to what? Cool Keith on WSJU Radio. Now, when did you start putting this Keith album together? Uh, me and Psycho Les worked on it, and um, we got together, and um, that's what happened. We got together and put it together. I picked out some of the best tracks that he had. He had a whole lot of tracks, but you know, I noticed I wanted some different ones from him, from what he you know normally does with other groups and stuff. And you know, the Beat Nuts, I, I like their stuff sometimes, and it was a difference for me. I usually do my number one producer stuff. And it was just me riding in somebody else's Cadillac this time. So, you know, I usually be on what I'm doing myself. And sometimes I, I like other beats as a rapper. You know, even sometimes I find beats online. You know, I, I like it's it's like it's like millions of producers around the world with dope beats. And I think it's sad that nobody gets to hear their talent. So. Not, not for rappers to run up to me with any kind of beat because some people won't throw you all kinds of weird beats that they think you should be on. But I like beats that still, I like to go find beats that, I like a beat that you're going to give somebody that you think is the top person a beat. Like I, I'll take a beat you're going to give somebody predictable 
before you try to give me a beat that you think is Dr. Octagon. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So some people want to custom make you some some something they made. They don't even know what they made themselves. And then some people, I'd rather go get a beat that I find. Let me find you. Don't find me. Mm. That's how I feel. That's how I did kind of with this project. Let me find what I like. Let me find. So people want to base beats on what you did before. Like, you know, you got some guy out there right now. I got this beat and it's, it's an ultra magnetic sounding beat and it's what you <laughs> should be on right now. And it's what you, I've been saving this beat from every rapper out in the world. And I can't wait to see you. You're the only guy I'm going to give this beat to. And I hid it under my couch and nobody's going to ever discover it. But when I see you, I'm going to give it to you. And you know, the beat probably sound whack, super whack, but <laughs> he's waiting. He's waiting for me because he feels that that's what I need. I need what I want to find. I want to find the beat. But he's like, I got this. I skipped everybody, every, uh, about a hundred million rappers down the list. This beat is only for you. And those guys, those are the guys that are going to have a hard time in their life. Yeah. Because they, they shouldn't do that. And I know we've been talking a lot about producers. What do you think about production today? Because there's no distinct production sound either. Like back in the day, you could tell what a primo beat was. Well, I noticed this. I noticed the. Uh, I noticed the trap is changing a little bit, and, and but but they used to always say the trap and the boom bap. But the boom bap got kind of redundant too, with the same kind mm-hmm. of samples. You know, the same. You know, I, 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 it's like a fighting force between two. I think the boom bap got a little bit, got a bit cliche, but I'm glad that this album came out because it's not based all on boom bap, but it is, it's pure hip hop, but it's still big enough for both genres of music and rap, but even trap, it's still, it's a monotonous, it's a monotonous of the same trap is the monotonous of the same boom bap. So they're both fighting each other. It's like two classrooms that fight each other all the time. You know what? And I'm in the middle. Mm. I'm in the middle trying to break it up. Now you, you were you were from the boom bap era. So what's it like being in the middle now? Well, I never I never was from the boom bap era. Mm-hmm. I with the boom like because critical beatdown was never boom bap. Mm. Like it was like. It was it was it was it was it was futuristically sampled stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we used David Bowie and you know, Boom Bap was more like the jazz and stuff like that. But um, I mean, it got guys that do Pete Rock, but Pete Rock just oh, you got you know you got Premier, yeah, you know. But they 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 the only ones master that, but. Then you got a whole bunch of followers that make it messed up. Mm. Like they just, you know, so then you same with trap. You got maybe, you know, there's other new kinds of trap coming out. They're changing the stuff. There's other new kinds of trap coming out also. Nah. Now, how there's long, other new kinds of trap coming out. Huh? How long did it take you to make this new album, Keith? Uh, it took me about, Took me about a good month 
Wow. But I had all the lyrics written. It took me a month. It took me about a good month to pick out my beats. I was I was prestiging my beats. That's what it was. Yeah, I know you're huge on picking good beats because I know you've also said in the past like certain rappers pick a lot of whack beats, right? Yeah, a lot of rappers. You know, they, that's the art. Picking beats is, is is really hard. I mean, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of beats all over everywhere. Beats from all, all genres. I mean, if, if I pick out a beat from anything I'm rapping on, you best believe is meaningful that I'm, if I'm rapping on anything before a person judge it, is you gotta you gotta wonder why I picked it. You wanna think why I picked it. Mm. Any beat that you hear me on, anything you hear my voice on, you should wonder why I picked it. You know what I'm saying? I never heard that from anyone before. Usually they just take yeah. a beat and they just do what they want with it. It's gotta be how you're yeah. feeling almost. Yeah, beats in my feeling. Beats are in my feeling. Mm. Like, like, a lot of beats are in my feelings you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now you're going to have some upcoming well, performances to promote the album and take this overseas uh, maybe? yeah 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 but I want people to go out and um, definitely go get this so this will be in their um, catalog if they don't have this in their catalog they're not official like yeah, no. You know, they got to have this in their catalog. Yeah. Be official. Well, if people are tuning in to WSJU Radio, they'll certainly hear it. It's in the rotation. I put it out the, uh, this past week when it came out, July 12th. July 12th. Yep. Yeah. People got to go download it, support it. The main thing is to download support, it. Right? Support it and get it. Because, like you said, you won't get that. That's that performance. That's that legitimate performance. Mm. Now, for your fans that will be tuned in and listening and uh, people up here who are liking the sound when I threw those Zero Fucks on there and Foot Locker, people like mm-hmm. those tracks. I got a lot of good feedback. Where will you be performing where people can go check you out? Are you going to be in New York anytime soon? L.A.? Uh, I'm going to be all over in a minute. I guess I'll be all over in a minute. They, I'm going to be there. But they, you know, I'm always in those I'm always in cities, so I think people they know me enough not to be present to feel me there without me being there. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you no. know, I'm there. I'm, I'm really there. I'm really there next to the artist. I'm really not next to the. I'm really there next to the to the, to the buyer. Even from here, once you buy my album, I'm there. I'm there next to you anyway. Mm. Like my presence has been so, you know, I've toured the United States numerous amounts of times, back to back, back to back. But I'm saying I'm, I'm there, you know, I'm basically there. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk a little sports with you too, because I know my show covers sports. Who are uh-huh. some of the teams that you root for? Uh, the Yankees, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, the Yankees, you know, and uh, I like uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Mm. 
Oh, no. <laughs> I got to ask you this. How long have you liked the Brooklyn the Nets for? I like the Mets, too. I like the Mets, too. How, how long have you been a Brooklyn Nets fan for? I like Brooklyn. I like Brooklyn Nets. I like the, how long I've been a Brooklyn Nets fan. Um, the only thing I, I want the Nets to do for me, I just want them to change the color of their uniforms to like maybe like a, a, a different kind of like a like a purple and black or something. Yeah. But not like Sacramento purple, but like a like a raspberry and black or something. You mm-hmm. know, I just don't want them in black all the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't like their uniforms either, but they're making a lot of big moves this off season. We're getting KD. I know they got a little college uniforms, but I, I want I want them to, where they stuff don't even look like high. They look like high school uniforms. But I mm-hmm. want the Nets. To, I want the Nets to get like red or some kind of color like the Nets. I'm trying to think the Nets should have on like um black and um I, I see them with black and. Let's just have black and blueberry or something like a like mm. a crazy blue, but not like the Knicks. I don't know. And that Knicks got that blue and orange. It's like a boring blue and orange, you know. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee wears it all the time, <laughs> but I don't like it. I'm a, I'm a big Knicks guy, so when you said the Nets, I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Knicks guy. I think the Knicks got the worst fan base because people come to the garden like a library. Like people don't scream. People too cool to holler. People too cool to throw up their popcorn. A lot of soap opera stars go down there with the kids and they train the kids not to scream. When you're watching the Knicks, it's like you in a science class. You ever notice you look at the garden? It's quiet. Everybody's yeah. It is. It's never. It's only. It hasn't erupted probably since Stark stunk on Jordan. Like it looks like somebody want to go shh. Like if you scream, somebody gonna go shh. Yeah. Like it's like a real like you know you might see Celine Dion sitting in the audience and like like a lot of CBS Young and the Restless stars down there. Like people that don't even know basketball. People like when they score, somebody gonna say who made a touchdown or something like you know a bunch of yeah I know what you mean. Like, like it's very uh it's very it's very it's very different. Like they have a you have a very library, library audience. Mm. Not a basketball audience, like a library crowd. Like they don't mind seeing lame players run up and down the court. Like they, they know the, like they'll pack the guard anyway, regardless of the front office. If they, they, they'll make the front office work more if they don't go, but they'll go anyway. Like they just go and sit in the crowd, like they watching. You know, they they sit like they watching the game on West Fourth Street for free. Mm. <laughs> it is though the Knicks are huh? the Knicks are in a bad state right now. Especially, they need to find a way where that owner can resign or something. Yeah, they sit like they're watching the game for free. Yeah, no, you know, I'm having interviews. Yeah, how about how about mm-hmm. football? What do you root for? Football, I don't. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't really. I, I watch football sometimes. I like certain teams. Mm-hmm. I like certain teams. I like a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. Who, who are some of your favorites? I like all twenty-four teams in football, so I could. I never lose. 
Oh, okay. That's the first like time I've ever 20, heard that. I like all 2014. <laughs> That's the, first, that's, the first, that's the first time I heard that before. Anybody in the Super Bowl is my team. <laughs> Even if you had to choose one? You can't choose one? No. No? No, I'm 24. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Raiders, Rams, Jets, Bengals, Browns. I got all 24 teams. <laughs> so... If I go out, I would probably get a, a certain kind of outfit made, like Tom's pants, might get like a jet shoe, a giant shoe, and get a eagle hat, a New England Patriot shirt, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Kansas City Chief wristband. <laughs> <laughs> just get just get all the apparel yeah. that you can wear in one outfit. Yeah, so even if they two teams playing together, they win. I still win. Whoever loses, I still win. And uh, just to mention again, this is WSU huh? Radio, St. John's University, Mad Max on air here with Cool Keith talking the new Keith album that just dropped July twelfth. Available on all platforms. Now, Keith, can uh-huh. they can they get this on vinyls and CDs as well as digital? I can get it everywhere. They can get it any kind of way they want it. Mm-hmm. They can get it even in aluminum foil. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go hit the record store. Up, see if I can get it on vinyl. I already, I already have it on digital, so I gotta go find it on vinyl. Big vinyl guy. Is it on? Is it on? Is it on? Is on? What is it on? I don't even know. What is it on? Can you tell me? Uh, iTunes. What is it coming? What is it coming in vinyl? Is it coming? What is it coming in? Oh, oh, I'm not 100% sure. All I have is the digital download, but I have to go look I'm, for it. I'm, I'm different forms. Different forms? Uh, CD, vinyl. I think it's CD, and vinyl, yeah. and digital. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Any form is fine, though. Anyone to go download it, support it. Most of all, but okay. I want to thank you for calling in for interview today thank and for your time. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I tell all the people out there, you know, it's good, you know, giving them that education that they need and, you know, stay with me. I'm there. I'm present. I'm really mm-hmm. present there. So I'm there. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. And, That's um, my goal is to keep this really the album going. Is keep, keep, yeah. And I, and I made it for you and the people out there. Mm. Now, I actually have one more question because uh, I was going to tell you just my goal just to keep the real hip-hop going, the artists from that generation. What does it take mm-hmm. for someone from your generation to keep it going in this generation? I say keep making songs. Like what happened is a lot of peers and guys that was making songs, they stopped making records. You know, they, they, they gave up to a certain time limit they gave up to just perform the songs I make I make new songs but I like making new songs so people can feel that you know people see the growth you know I like making new songs and that's what this album was about mm. you know so next time you see one of your favorite rappers ask them a simple question when was the last time you made a new song? Mm, that's a good point right there. Yeah. That's a good question. 
Yeah. When was the last time you made a new song? It's a good question. You know. Yep. And uh, I want to thank you again for calling in, Keith. It was an honor to have you call in and do this interview, promote the new album. Like I said, Keith, available on all platforms. Go download it most of all. You can get it on CD, vinyl, digital. Go support it. And whenever you're available in the New York area, if you have any time, if you want to stop in the studio and come in and promote it even more, I make sure to have it played at all the events on campus. Okay, where, where, where are you located? Uh, Queens, St. John's University. Okay, yeah. Okay. And yeah, everybody, you know, people in Queens, yeah. Keep me posted and I'm going to hear this interview one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be, I'm going to put it on the, the radio station. So I'm going to put it in the, okay. the loop there. I'll send you the link. I'm going to be in touch with you on Instagram and I got in, in your phone number. Matt, I'm going to stay in touch with Matt. I want to thank Matt for setting okay. this up too. So I'm going to let you know and definitely love to have you in for an in-studio interview. Keep this going. Get this more out there. I'll make sure okay. all the events they got this all these hot tracks playing on campus too. Okay, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks a lot. No doubt, Keith. Have a good day. Okay. Take care. <laughs>